How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hi, it's David Locke, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network and a host of Locked On NBA. We are getting great reaction to our podcast with our hosts across the Locked On Podcast Network when we cover the biggest stories of the NBA with the local angle. We will continue to do that today and throughout the NBA season. Big thanks to all the hosts on the Locked On Podcast Network and to show their expertise in each of these stories. Today, we will stop by and find out what's going on with Cleveland with Kyrie Irving. Is Oklahoma City really got a chance to get Carmelo? And finally, the Wizards have quietly had a great offseason. We'll check in with all three of those hosts of the Locked On Podcast Network coming up. If you'd like to advertise on either Locked On NBA or any of our local Locked On Podcast Network shows, email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. That's dlock09 at gmail.com. Podcast listeners are 65% more likely to interact with a sponsor that they've heard on a podcast and other forms of media. And we do all of our advertising based on numbers of listens. So you definitely get value. All right, here it is. Another edition of the Locked on NBA covering the biggest stories of the NBA with the local experts. Locked on NBA, hitting the biggest stories from the local angles. Today, we will stop by Cleveland, Oklahoma City, and Washington, D.C., and it's all brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. Make sure you download the SeatGeek app on your phone for the easiest way to get tickets to any sporting event. Then SeatGeek gives every single ticket a ticket score so you know what tickets are the best buy. And you use the promo code LOCKED and you get $20 back on your first purchase with SeatGeek. All you've got to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, promo code, enter in LOCKED. And what I find is that SeatGeek makes my life a million times easier to get tickets to upcoming events, whether they're concerts, ball games. I know when I'm going to be traveling places, so I always check out the dates and see what's available. Ticket. Uh, alerts on prices for various tickets as well. It's what makes SeatGeek has made buying tickets with technology just that much easier and that much better for everyone involved. Maybe you're going to go see U2. 20 events right now at SeatGeek on my phone for U2, and you can go see where you can get the best tickets for them, whether it's in France, Detroit, Michigan, Orchard Park, New York, Minneapolis, who knows? Gosh, I want to see them so badly. All right, go make sure you go to SeatGeek, download the promo tab, the promo code LOCKED under the settings tab, and you get $20 back on your first purchase. Let's get it going. Our first stop on Locked on NBA, covering the biggest stories of the NBA from the local angle, is to Cleveland. The Kyrie Irving situation, demanding a trade. Chris Manning hosts Locked on Cavaliers. Chris, were you stunned by this? Or had you heard the same murmurs that maybe Kyrie wasn't happy? I, you know, I hadn't heard anything. You know, I had, I was in a in the car uh, on the way for a weekend away, and it was getting these alerts on my phone. You know, kind of uh, caught off guard. I mean, just thinking and just thinking about this, 
I've been thinking about this all weekend, obviously, and this is something that I think I should have been less surprised than I am. I think you could kind of see in his comments that some of this was on there. Um, and I think, you know, we're kind of, you, you listen to a lot of the super plugged and national guys. They're saying, yeah, like we've been, we've been told this. Um, I, I, I'm not as surprised now as I was Friday, just kind of thinking through it a little bit, but originally, yeah, very surprised. Um, and, and it's another layer of kind of craziness to what has been a very crazy Cavs off season. All right. So I had heard murmurs of this, um, Kind of not great, not greatly sourced, right? Not something that I could have gone with, but I had heard, oh, Kyrie's unhappy in, 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 in Cleveland. Do you think that it now makes a little sense on how poor they were in the regular season? You know, I don't know if it's that because I think that sort of implies that there's a little bit of, of sort of like sabotaging effort level out there. I think what we're getting at with Kyrie, I think the more interesting question is sort of what it's, it leads to like kind of how he and LeBron sort of work as a, as a dynamic, right? Like I think we've spent a lot of time in the second LeBron era really talking about how Kevin Love fits into this. Like he's been the guy who has been marginalized. Like he's the guy whose game has changed. You can look at any metric you want with Kyrie and, and it's really hard for me to kind of see like what, where his argument is that he wants to be the man is in terms of a basketball standpoint. He was leading the team in shots last year. He's scoring a lot. It's really the offense isn't necessarily just built around LeBron. It's built around Kyrie and LeBron being these incredible offensive talents that do things individually. It's a very weird thing. Like I, I think like there, Kyrie's always been a guy who um, has – kind of wanted that. I think like he, you definitely got vibes of him and talk of him being unhappy pre-LeBron. Like, that necessarily isn't new, but he also signed that five-year deal and did so sort of eagerly. And I think he's sort of a guy who wants to be that solo star, but it's also like you're competing for a title. You're the guy leading the team in shots, even if LeBron is like the face of everything. You kind of have to sacrifice something if you want to play at this level, especially in this NBA, when really if you aren't playing with LeBron right now, you're not competing for what he kind of says he wants to compete for as the man. So there's just a lot of little things here that I don't quite know if they add up yet, if we don't know enough yet. We haven't heard – I mean, we, Kyrie's in Asia on a Nike tour right now. LeBron is just posting subliminal things on his Instagram story. Like, we haven't heard from actual people, like, on the record in interviews with the players. Or Richard Jefferson's the closest thing we've gotten. And, and so we, I think we hear from these guys directly – there's going to be little things and they're going to spin, of course, but there's little things we don't really know yet that have kind of made this sort of a harder thing to parse through in some of the finer points. You made the comment that in retrospect, maybe there were signs. What were those signs? I mean, he's a moody guy. Kyrie um, is a guy who is sort of, was sort of the hardest to reach. Like he, at times, like there's, you just, he just kind of keeps to himself a little bit more. Um, I mean, you just think of some of the comments that that he's had, like he, he talked about it not wanting to be like a a Kobe Shaq type relationship, and he talked to Kobe about it. So, like, I mean, the only reason you seek out Kobe to talk about that is if it's on your mind, right? Like, if that's something you're thinking about and thinking about the dynamic. And he's also a guy who has hinted at. If you just go back and look at a lot of his comments, he's a guy who has hinted at like wanting to be the guy. Like, he's talked about wanting to be an MVP caliber player. Who has talked about wanting to be the face of a franchise. And like, even when he was. I mean, even just going back to when it was pre-LeBron, like the, there was friction with him and Deion Waiters because he like he felt like him and Deion were kind of stepping on his shows, and they, these were two guys who thought that they were the best player on the team, like they, that they were the star, right? Like that was sort of the thing. I mean, if you remember, 
they held a press conference to shoot down rumors that they didn't get along. Like this, they'd like literally go out to have a press conference to shoot that down. Um, I mean, I think if you just look at Kyrie's track, like his career and just kind of how he's presented himself and what he wants and what he's kind of said he wanted, some of the, I want to be the guy thing maybe isn't surprising as it comes to me. Cause I think a lot of, I think a lot of this, some of the shock of this comes from, we just assume that guys are going to be comfortable sacrificing. And, and Danny LaRue pointed this out on dunked on that. We can't always assume NBA players all want the same thing, that every guy here has individual wants, individual desires. Um, and, and I think Kyrie, like this is an example of that. He is not a guy who necessarily wants to just, like he's not the Clay Thompson. Like he just wants to, he maybe wants to be the guy more than another guy might. And I'm not sure I think Clay Thompson's that guy either. Over time we'll find out. But what did, I think you bring up a great point, Chris. What did we reward inside the NBA this last year? James Harden and Russell Westbrook being the man and becoming the MVP. You're Kyrie Irving. You're watching Russell Westbrook have that year. James Harden have the year. I don't have any doubt that Kyrie could score that much in our league. He's the best one-on-one player there is. Russell's team was barely over 500. He wins the MVP. You know what? If I'm Kyrie, I know it's it's against the kind of the norm everybody likes to talk about, but wait a sec. I didn't make all NBA last year. If I go get my own team and score 34 a night, not only do I make all MV- NBA, I'm thought of as an MVP candidate, and my legacy in the future is better than it is if I stay on a championship team. It's what we reward. I I, I don't think it's crazy at all that this has happened. In fact, I expected it to happen. Yeah, I kind of expected this to maybe come in a year. I, th- I think for me the shock of this and the surprise of this is that it's right now, and this kind of makes me think that Kyrie probably – I don't know what this says about like LeBron's future because I kind of think like if Kyrie really wanted to, he could bet on himself in the context of LeBron as taking over this franchise because – LeBron could very well leave next summer. If Kyrie qualifies for All NBA, he'd qualify. I believe he'd qualify for the Supermax. So that's another seventy million dollars. I, I, I sort of, and I wonder like how the dysfunction of the franchise plays into this. Like, does he want to go somewhere else? And also, does like does he just want to completely get away from LeBron's shadow in any in any regard? Right? Like, I could that that to me like in retrospect makes a lot of sense. But and I think like the extreme of it is like. He could have been the guy once LeBron left. I think like the Cavs easily would have given him a five-year deal the moment he wanted it, the moment he asked for it, and there wouldn't have been any hesitation on his next contract, which is two years from now he could be a free agent. Two final But thoughts. it seems like he wants to be away, completely away from LeBron, and that's, that's kind of an interesting thing here. All right, two final thoughts here that I think uh, you have brought up that I want to get to. Let's stay with just isolate Kyrie for a second. And, you know, you just learn things when you're inside the league over time. And I go back to something early in Kyrie's career. I had somebody, a great source, who said to me, holy smokes, he hasn't done anything yet. They're just letting him run the franchise in his early years. He does whatever he wants. No one's on him. No one's going to make him upset. They're so scarred by LeBron leaving that they're just they're giving this guy everything. Do you think that that? has come back to two things, that that's come back to bite them, and that, two, maybe we underestimated how hard it would be for Kyrie when he was being treated like that to have someone like LeBron come in and take the lead. Well, I think that's a really good point, and I think to kind of add on to that, there was a nugget in the I, – I want I can't, there's been so many stories at this point, I can't even keep track of them, but it was one of the ESPN stories that noted that LeBron has personal friends, Randy Mims being the guy that was named in the story – 
that have been allowed access onto the uh, in terms of a team position and then um, getting on onto the team plane. Mike Mancius is a guy who trains LeBron and was with him in the Heat and then came to Cleveland. Kyrie's camp has not gotten that access. If you go to Cavs games, you would see Kyrie's dad, you'd see his sister a lot, and they would be around and like they would be very visible if you just kind of walked around the body of the arena. Maybe more so visible, and I, at least in my experience, than any other uh, Cavs family member. Like that was I always saw Kyrie's dad. But in terms of like that plane access, that like maybe there's like he got all of the stuff early on, and then LeBron gets that extra level because he's LeBron James, and Kyrie doesn't get it, and then there is sort of a a different disrespect right there. Because and if you go back to that that summer when LeBron comes back, Kyrie signing that deal without LeBron knowing he was coming, it's not the same as David Black planning on coaching a team without LeBron. But, like, he thought he was the guy. Like, they had anointed him the face, and then LeBron comes back. And that changes things. And I kind of – maybe there's, like, some stewing there that is just in his mind since that day. That's kind of my thing is, like, I wonder if he's been thinking about this. Maybe not the trade demand, and may, but maybe he's just, like, quietly in some aspect been unhappy. And then the loss, having already won a title, maybe that is sort of, like, the, the push over the edge. Okay, final thing. And I, I don't mean – well, I do mean this. If LeBron didn't live in, if LeBron wasn't born in Akron, would we view the Cavaliers differently than the Kings and the Knicks? No, I mean I think about this a lot. To be honest with you, um, I I mean I joked on Twitter the other day that the Cavs are Kings East, but like I I even I've been talking I've been trying to explain this to to people that I I talked to Dan Gilbert about because if you look at just what they did when LeBron left. And got Kyrie, and like Kyrie, um, if you just you look at the you go you can go fact check me on this, everyone listening. Like that wasn't their pick; that was the Clippers pick that they got in the Baron Davis dump, right? Like like or the the whatever right. trade that was with the Clippers. So you get that pick. That's not your actual pick. Like you got really lucky to get Kyrie, right? And you could have taken Derek Williams, and that was like a thing at the time where people thought they would take Derek Williams. So then, not only to, to get lucky to, to get lucky again, you win another number one pick the first of the second two that they win and you you botch that pick. Like you you botch the Bennett pick. You make bad free agent signings. Like you the Luel Deng trade didn't work. You know, if the if the most successful trades you made in that time were getting Wayne Ellington and or Mo and Mo Spades or Spencer Hawes, like you didn't do very much there. And then you get the, the only reason you really have a position to get Kevin Love is that you win the lottery that you shouldn't have won and get Andrew Wiggins. Like what what would you have had to give up to get Kevin Love? If that's the case, and then yes, if LeBron James is not born in Akron, if he's not, if they're not the closest franchise to his hometown, to the place that he reps more than anything, where are you? And it it is just a bunch of, it has been a bunch of luck, like in a bunch of circumstances that have got them there. And I think you know, like they're doing some stuff now, and they're hinting at stuff now about targeting young players, and they brought over Chetty Osman, and they're sort of like I think trying to create a safety net that they didn't have the first time when LeBron left. But at the same time. It's going to be a, just a huge drop-off whenever this ends, whether it's next summer, whether it's in a couple of years. Whenever that comes, I, I think you're going to be, see a franchise that's going to act a lot like the Kings, a lot like the Knicks. And in some ways, I, I think like the Kings' dysfunction of the last two years is, isn't that far from what the Cavs were two years ago, and LeBron just kind of makes things normal because he's LeBron James. And you believe he will be traded, correct? Yeah, I, I, I just everything I've been told, everything I've read – I kind of think it's inevitable. I'm just kind of trying to figure out right now what's sort of the pack, what's sort of the the package, because I don't know 
I don't get the vibe from any aspect of this that they are going to just go win now. Like I, I the first thing I thought when he came up with that, maybe they would try to do the mellow thing, but I don't necessarily think they're going to just go short, so short term that they would just do Kyrie mellow. I think they're going to target a someone they define as a blue chip guy and as a young player and try to kind of sneak in a useful veteran or two out of there. The problem is I just don't know if they're right now, depending on who's going to make who available. I don't know if there are many teams that exactly fit the criteria that they can kind of appease LeBron with a useful veteran guy um, and young players. It seems like Phoenix and Denver are the two most interesting to me, but that's just kind of so early in this. Chris Manning is his name. He's the host of Locked on Cavaliers. It's the biggest story in the NBA. You can get the local angle on that biggest story with Chris every day on Locked on Cavaliers. Chris, thank you very much. Great insight. Really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 1010, select styles only. From Cleveland, we move to the Mellow story, but with an interesting twist on it. From the New York angle of things, talking with our Locked On Knicks hosts, their feeling is it's still Carmelo to Houston. There's nothing going on there. Last week on the same Locked On NBA podcast, talking about the biggest stories in the NBA from the local angles, Ben DuBose, Locked On Rockets, gave us the great insight that really, if it's not Ryan Anderson, this is not a deal that Houston's interested in doing. He he told us that he does not expect Houston to do this deal unless it's Ryan Anderson's contract as much as anything for Carmelo because they do maybe have some doubts of whether Carmelo actually makes them better. So what happens? What breaks that stalemate? Is it possible that Oklahoma City breaks that stalemate? That's the rumor around the league. Let's find out. Let's get the local angle and the biggest stories from Fred Katz, the host of Locked on Thunder. Fred, Hard to doubt anything with Sam Presti at this point after the amazing Paul George move. Is he got another one up his sleeve? Yeah, I mean, the hard thing here, the the, the real tough one to try to figure out, because, look, the Houston offer is, is really not a great offer. Ryan Anderson contract is not a popular contract around the league. Cleveland, you know, the, whatever Cleveland could potentially offer, it's just really difficult to figure out a deal that would make sense for both teams, even if you bring in a third or a fourth team, or whatever it might be. And the issue here is not necessarily outdoing those deals. I think the Thunder would be able to outdo those deals, even after giving up some pieces to get Paul George. I don't think they give up any of their top three salaried guys, but Ennis Kanter would almost certainly have to be involved in the deal just from a salary perspective. They couldn't give up a a first-round pick until 2022, but they've got some younger guys, Jeremy Grant, they've got Alex Sabrinas, they've got Doug McDermott. Uh, they'd be able to throw into a deal like that. And honestly, if you're so afraid of the Ryan Anderson contract, that might be something that you'd be willing to pick up in a deal like that. So got Chicago's 2018 second rounder, which is unprotected. And honestly, like the number 32 pick, uh, you know, a, a lot of teams might value number 32, number 33, and that Chicago pick could end up being top five in the second round. A lot of teams might value that more than, you know, a, a, a very, very end of the first round uh, pick anyway. The struggle is going to be, will Carmelo Anthony waive his no-trade clause to come to Oklahoma City? Because historically, he's wanted to stay in New York. 
he seemed to always make his decisions based on business and finances. You know, he, he took the bigger contract with the Knicks uh, instead of going to Chicago in 2014. He pushed his way to the Knicks, uh, pushed his way to a, the Knicks in a trade, which kind of decimated the Knicks, as we all know. And part of the reason for that was because he wanted to be able to sign an extension, which he wouldn't have been able to sign after the collective bargaining agreement was renegotiated in 2011 when they had that lockout. So a lot of his decision-making has been financial. Carmelo Anthony's brand, I think we can all agree, is probably better in New York than it is in Oklahoma City. And and that's really what the biggest question in this whole thing is. All right, so let's walk through the two parts that you've just brought up and just really simplify this here on the idea of whether Carmelo Anthony legitimately could go to Oklahoma City. Do you think the Thunder could put together the best package? If, If we're assuming that there are only three teams involved, and it's Cleveland, Houston, and Oklahoma City, then then yeah, I think that's a realistic possibility. Yes. All right. Now let's go. I think I think I think they could. Now let's go to the next part of this, and this is another story that last week on Locked On NBA, which our local angles, the, just the local guys know these stories so well. And great points by James of Locked On Knicks when he said, you know, he thought there was a possibility that if they don't get the right deal. They'll, they'll just make, the, the Knicks hold it. Like, fine, Carmelo, sit out. Like, we'd rather just have your contract expire than have to take a Ryan Anderson contract. Is there any point in this where, is it November? Is it, I don't know, October? Is it December? Where you think that the Knicks could put enough pressure on Carmelo that he would finally relent and just say, fine, send me anywhere? Um. I guess it's 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 possible, but Carmelo's desire. I mean, he's he's kind of slowly progressed in a way to work. He's more he's more open to be traded and now. Now he's obviously more open to it than than he's ever been, even after Phil Jackson is gone. But at the same time, like it's never quite been a situation where Carmelo Anthony has just desperately wanted to get out of New York. Family still likes it there. His his son still likes it there. They like the school that he's at. They like the lifestyle that's there and. And like I said, he's he's able to to do a lot of things that he wouldn't otherwise be able to do in smaller NBA cities when he's in New York City. So I don't know if Carmelo is just going to jump to another place, even though he can become a free agent in 2018 if he decides to opt out because he has that early termination option. Even though he's able to do that, I don't know if there's this way that the Knicks are just going to kind of be able to bully Melo into saying, fine, I'll just go anywhere. I don't care. Just get me out of here. And And maybe it's possible. Maybe things will just go super sour. Uh, but but I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to end up being an effective measure because that's kind of what they tried over the last year, right? Like they, Phil Jackson was, was telling the world that they wanted to get rid of Carmelo Anthony and, you know, very obvious ploy of trying to make Melo feel unwanted. And Melo just kind of said, no, nah, it's okay. I'm going to stick around. And I don't know if this, uh, if this current front office is going to dig as hard into that strategy as Phil Jackson did. Final question for Fred Katz of Locked on Thunder. Would Carmelo Anthony make the Thunder a better team? Depends on what they give up. That's my uh, that's my caveat answer. I mean, if, if you're giving up McDermott and Canner and that's it, I understand the argument that he would. I, I think I think it all depends on his willingness to buy into what Oklahoma City is doing because they've got one extraordinarily ball dominant guy, probably the most ball dominant guy in the league, who just broke a usage rate uh, record. And uh, you've got another guy in Paul George who is without a doubt a better player than Carmelo Anthony. And Mel has never been on a team where he's been the third best player. And people yearn for people. People talk about, well, you know, you put him on a team with other stars, you get Olympic Mello to the point where Olympic Mello has kind of become 
this, you know, one word proper noun that people like to throw around. And the only time we've seen Olympic mellow is actually in the Olympics in these small sample sizes when they're playing like Nigeria. And, and, and that's not maybe not going to be the case in the NBA. We've never seen it in the NBA. So if he were willing to come in and be a four who can catch and shoot, even though it would hurt their defense, which is very versatile and well-equipped to guard the Warriors. And if he were willing to buy into that role and, and take 12 to 14 shots a game, then, then yeah, I, I buy it. I, I think that would absolutely help them. But if he's going to come in and he's going to want to be isolating on on the wings and he's going to want to be running the offense and if that's what they have, then I don't know if it's, uh, if it's necessarily worth it because I don't know if what this team needs is another guy who's going to have a 25% usage. I think they could use, they obviously could use improvements and they're going to be good anyway, but I, I think there, there are other needs that are, that are more pressing than that. Fred Katz, Locked on Thunder. If this story continues to materialize, that's the place to get it. Locked on Thunder, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, covering the biggest stories of the NBA from local angles and giving you insight you can't get anywhere else. Fred, thank you very much. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 1010. Select styles only. Thanks for having me. And our final stop on the biggest stories in the NBA from the local angles takes us to the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Ben Standing is the host of Locked on Wizards. And it's not as dramatic as player movement. It's not as dramatic as uh, Carmelo and, frankly, not as dramatic as Kyrie, who we've already talked about on this podcast. But it is a pretty big offseason for the Washington Wizards capped off with John Wall signing this massive extension. This Wizards team, Ben, has to be very excited about where they are standing right now in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, definitely the case. They spent a lot of money just in, this, in the last few days. Uh, they gave John Wall a four-year, $169 million extension. That's on top of giving Otto Porter a four-year, $106 million contract. He was a restricted free agent. Those two, along with the Bradley Beal, formed the real core of this team that won 49 games a year ago, came within one game of reaching the Eastern Conference Finals. And you know what? Like It was something of a predictable offseason for the Wizards, but a very satisfying one. And that includes for the fan base, because I can be honest with you, people were very nervous about John Wall staying, because at the beginning of the, the offseason, he started saying, yeah, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see and based on the history of this team for the last 20, 30 years, whatever can go wrong will go wrong is the way people view it. And I think people were afraid that he would leave. But instead, John Wall stays and makes for, you know, it puts the capper on what it ultimately has to be viewed as a productive offseason. There's a headline today. It might have even been an article you wrote for FanRag. I'm not sure about uh, the Wizards are now the model for stability in the Eastern Conference. Uh, do you buy that, or do you think that they may have boxed themselves into and have some co- and some lack of stability because of the size of these contracts? You know, I think it depends on how you on how one views the way an organization builds a team. If you if one builds it as it's championship or bust, that without winning a title, you forget about it. You got to do everything you can to win at all costs then I can see why people view the Wizards as potentially being boxed into a corner. 
that they've got a good trio and they've got some other players that are helpful, but you don't look at them and say automatically they're in that mix with Golden State or, or Cleveland or Houston or what have you. But on the other hand, if you view it as the goal for each year should be put your team in position to contend and see what happens, maybe you're the one that gets the breaks that year, I think the Wizards are in a pretty good spot. And you mentioned Tyree. That's one of the breaks I'm talking about. Who would have even have imagined that Kyrie Irving would have said, I want out of Cleveland? Now, I'm not saying the Cavaliers are going to go down even if he leaves because obviously LeBron James is pretty good at basketball. But is Cleveland definitely going to be as formidable as they were if Kyrie does go? We'll see. And if he's if they're not, the Wizards are right there with Boston, I think, to, to give them a push. And, uh, you know, the, the Wizards, their top four players are 28 and under. I think there's a good reason to think – they can contend. So, yes, they're, they're, they're salary cap boxing right now, but that's for this year. You can always find ways to wiggle out of problems down the line. I agree with you, actually, 100% on this. I, I think you're, when you build a team in the NBA, you should be building your team to try to be one of the four best teams in your conference. And then maybe you get a matchup that you like in the semifinals of your conference. Maybe you get a twisted ankle, right? It, you know, who knows what it is. If, um, if I'm getting my playoffs right, if – uh, you know, if Isaiah's hip injury happens at a different time, we don't know what happens last year. So I think there's, I think there's so many things that can happen. If you can put yourself, and, and I think the Wizards have done this, in a position where you're going to be Final Four in your conference for the next three to five years, that, that, that is fabulous. And then you start to fiddle from there. So I agree with you 100%. How much better do you think they will be a second year with Scott Brooks than they were the first year? You definitely would assume like things should get should improve. I mean, not only was Scott Brooks a new coach last year, they had nine new players on the roster, so there was a lot of of adjusting to to one another throughout. And uh, you know, you saw that a little bit when they started off the season two and eight. But they had you know the best record in the Eastern Conference for about a two and a half month stretch during the middle of the season. Uh, their bench was basically a disaster last year, and they still won forty nine games. I, I'm not going to say that their bench is all of a sudden you know, one of the league's best, but the additions of Tim Frazier and Jody Meeks in particular, if healthy, should give them a viable backup plan behind John Wall and Bradley Beal. They had nothing last year behind those guys. So even though the Wizards didn't get your Gordon Haywood-type player, didn't even have one draft pick, just those two, if they could play 12 minutes a game each of solid basketball, that should take some pressure off Wall and Beal from having to play tons of minutes. And that in and of itself should make them better and give Brooks a few more options. All right, that's my final question for you. I, like, I, I use this phrase a lot. Uh, there's a lot of rosters in the NBA that don't have 240 minutes of basketball. And what I mean by that is 48 times 5. And the Wizards last year were certainly a team that did not have 240 minutes of basketball. I mean, I talked to Scott about this for a while last year. I mean, he was just trying to link his way from vine to vine like Tarzan to get through portions of the game, and there'd be no vine left, right? And so do are they closer to having 240 minutes of basketball on their roster? I, I think they are. I mean, look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, consternation in town about that contract they gave Jan Mahimi. But Jan Mahimi can play basketball. He just didn't play much last year because he had – an injury during uh, training camp, and that kept him out for you know really most of the regular season. And he was also hurt in the playoffs. Now, if he, he you know if he's healthy, combined with Frazier, combined with Meeks, they added Mike Scott, who was coming off a very down year, but he had been a key player for Atlanta when they won sixty games. You know, combined with Jason Smith, Kelly Oubre is going into his third year. You know, like I said, I'm not saying that that's like a world class bench, 
but is it enough to 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 play that you know t- ten to fifteen twenty minutes a game collectively? I think there's a shot for that, but we'll see. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna. I, I've been I've been wrong before with some of the Wizards additions. They've clearly been wrong before, but I think there's a chance their bench should be better. And yes, give give them uh, that 240 minutes. Ben, standing locked on Wizards. And catch him during the season. The Wizards will be a large part of the NBA landscape this year, and Ben will be covering it top to bottom. Another day of the biggest stories of the NBA from the local angles. Thanks to Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers, Fred Katz of Locked On Thunder, and Ben Standing of Locked On Wizards. You can follow all of them on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.